Oh, hello. Uh, you caught me admiring my Eberly stock bag. I have a few of them. And uh, the reason I admire it so much and I love using their gear is because it's amazing. So the, one of the other reasons I love Eberly stock is they support uh, military and law enforcement openly. Uh, and, and what I mean by that is there are other companies out there where they will make gear specifically for us, but we're more like a dirty little secret. Where Glenn Eberly, the founder and owner of Eberly stock, is a veteran, a former Olympian, and a proud supporter of not only law enforcement, but also military folks. And on top of that, they make the best gear and apparel, the bags and apparel that I've ever used. So head on over to Everly Stock, put in the ones ready code for your 10% discount, and make sure that you're supporting the folks that openly and honestly support us. Appreciate it. Welcome, everybody, back to the tea room. We have a special guest in the tea room today uh, for you. It's somebody that we met uh, throughout there and through the communities of Everly Stock and some of our other partners. But boy, are we excited. It's easily the most famous we've had in the team room here with us. Jenna Waller from Skullbound TV and the Skullbound Chronicles. Jenna, good morning. How are you doing? Good morning. I'm so excited to be here. I uh, That was quite the introduction. Probably way, it sounded way more important than than it really is. But I um, I, I do a ton of hunting related podcasts. So this is a little bit different and I'm super excited to just kind of, you know, cross cross pollinate and uh, chit chat with you guys. I have a lot of connections to the veteran world, but usually I'm talking hunting and guns and uh, there's cross pollination there too, but I'm just excited to be here. It's <laughs> odd that you would mention hunting and guns. Ostensibly, that's sort of what we do at work as well. So I want you to start off and just, you know, kind of for our listeners and stuff, and, and you already kind of hinted to that connection that we've already got and that we've already made, but, you know, walk us through, you know, how you got to where you are with Skullbound. You, you mentioned that you do hunting and, and you were humble enough to not say it, but you were easily one of the most popular hunting shows out there. You're out on Carbon doing Skullbound Chronicles now, but lead, lead us up to how you got there. You are a, a single uh, person, an influencer, if you will, in the in the hunting world, and you do some hard hunts and you get out there. So what was that road that led up to where you are now? Well, it's really funny. I, most people don't know. I actually come from a background of sales and then I, uh, outside sales. I live, I'm, you probably hear it in my voice. I'm from Wisconsin. 100%. Clocked it. Clocked it. Clocked it. They tilt their head and they like, you're not really from Montana. <laughs> <laughs> Just doing the German head, yeah, German no, shepherd I, head tilt. Like, eh, I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> I, uh, my dad was really smart enough to see in me this love of nature. And I was always outside and, and playing in the mud, catching frogs. And so he used to let me, when I was five, six years old, sit in the duck blinds with him. You know, I always joke about he, he lets me, he would let me go on pheasant hunts with him as long as I wouldn't complain about walking in the tall grass. That's how little I was. And then when I was 19, I was actually 18. I was in freshman in college and I, um, I, my dad had started big game hunting when I was in high school, picked up a bow and started bow hunting. And I, I was cool. I would sit in the trees with him, thought it was so awesome, but never really saw other women bow hunting. And it just never really dawned on me that I could get into that. And so I go off to college. I met a girl who was a bow hunter and it was one of those, if she can do it, I can do it moments. And long story short, I've, it's been over three decades of uh, loving archery hunting. Um, I shot a doe, uh, 
whitetail doe that first year and have just been absolutely hooked with hunting ever since. Then real life takes over. Graduated college with a public relations and marketing degree. Um, had a bunch of different odd jobs, outside sales, a lot of. Um, then I worked for Edward Jones for 10 years with my ex-husband, who's a great guy, and um, actually taught him how to hunt and my stepson. And so that was a, a neat, neat bond that we actually still talk about all the time. And then uh, went through a divorce and was living in my mom's basement, hence the big L. Thank goodness. And yeah, no, now you actually belong in a podcast now. You, you, this is finally the first thing that we have in common because you're, you're a badass. You're very popular. You're the world's nicest human. Now, finally, you live in the basement. And now we can, now you and I are dorks on the internet together. This is how we connect. Okay, perfect. Oh, sweet. Okay, good. Good, good. <laughs> The thing is about living in my mom's basement is she lived on the lake. So all I did was fish oh, for a year. Fair. It was kind of awesome. My mom's basement was you in know. Northeast Ohio. She lived on a street, oh. you know? Oh, yeah. No, I had a good. I did. I had a good. But anyway, I, um, I, this is almost embarrassing, but let's just put it out there. I met my ex-boyfriend of 10 years on Facebook because we were in the same hunting magazine together. We were in Bowhunter Magazine. I'd written an article called Independence Day, and it was about getting a climber tree stand and not having to have my dad or my ex or somebody, somebody else help me with moving tree stands. Mm -hmm. It's a climber. You get in it by yourself. And I have a fear of heights anyway, you should, but I uh, ended up killing some pretty nice bucks, probably eight feet off the ground. And <laughs> um, anyway, I wrote an article called Independence Day. My, um, my ex-boyfriend wrote as well and we were in the same bow hunter magazine together and so we started chatting started long distance dating and he said you know you need to move out to montana well i mean all it takes is one trip out to montana to see the beauty it's just i'm right now looking out at the big root mountains windows and it's just jaw dropping it's just so beautiful out here so um going back and forth of what am i going to do uh career wise he was already filming a show for the outdoor channel a hunting show and he said let's start a female hosted show there's none out there and so that first year we hunted a bunch gathered a bunch of footage i'm also a skull artist that's why it's called skullbound a lot of people look at me kind of funny and are like so you you hunt for skulls <laughs> well i mean well. technically yes <laughs> I mean, yeah, you guys do that <laughs> more than I. <laughs> but I, uh, so I, I bead and I paint skulls, whitetails, buffalo, longhorns, you name it. And often for people, for friends or customers, but also I, that's how I raise money for my veteran causes and my conservation causes. So that's why we called it Skullbone. But we pitched it to the Sportsman's Channel. They were all over it, and we spent nine years as Skullbound TV on the Sportsman's Channel. And then four years ago, I started dabbling with digital. Everyone was seeing the shift in TV, of course. And I, uh, at the same time of running on Sportsman's Channel, I decided to put a collaboration of the previous nine years and do the best of for Skullbound Chronicles on Carbon TV. Well, those pulled just as good viewership numbers at a lot smaller business model, uh, meaning overhead, um, running on network TV, you have the cost of airtime. It's you have the cost of closed captioning. It's way more expensive. So I, after looking at those numbers the first year, I completely switched over to carbon TV. So now the first year is just highlights of the nine years on sportsman's the second and third year are brand new hunt episodes. But this year I'm, I'm really excited to release an all veteran season. Oh, so yes. this year, 
my 13 episodes of my favorite veteran hunts that I've ever done. And we can get into how I started doing that. I, I wish I did. And I wish I did those kind of hunts the whole time, but the kind of the gist of my show was solo female hosted talking about conservation out there adventuring, but how I actually started doing veteran hunts once or twice a year was I met a double amputee, Bob the knee, Bo Richenbeck, Navy SEAL. They had a big fundraiser for him at the Missoula stadium, excuse me, stadium. Um, you know, um, guys jumped in carrying the flags. I'm crying on the field. It was just so beautiful. <laughs> Um, I'll probably cry a couple times on the podcast. I love, no, I love it. That'll be, that'll be a first. Put that out there. (laughs) But these, you know, jumpers jumped in and it was honoring Bo and it was talking about raising money for, um, building him a home. And anyway, a friend of mine, Jared Ogden, former SEAL, introduced me to Bo and I said, Hey, you you ever want to go on a hunt? And he said, yeah. And he never hunted as a kid because he was really into hockey And so he and his dad, his dad gave up hunting to cart him all around on his hockey matches through high school and such. And he unfortunately stepped on an IED, his very first deployment. And um, anyway, we, uh, thanks to Rich Birdsell, um, this incredible outfit over in the Cascades, um, he hosted Bo and I, and we took him on probably top three hunts of my entire life. Bo is such a badass. He's very quiet, very humble. Um, it was hard to kind of break in through to him, um, but he he's just one of those quiet, observant badasses. And the first, and I had never done a double amputee hunt before. These are real hardcore mountain hunts. I wasn't sure how it was going to work. And after the first day of kind of leaning on his dad and I with his prosthetics, he was like, this is not going to work. This is actually too much work. So he took off his prosthetics, spun on metal plates onto the bottom, and bottom of his top part of his legs. And he literally crawled the mountains for eight days. And you can just imagine the, the, the muscles and the soreness after climbing a mountain like that for one day. Well, seven more days he did that until he smacks this bull. And it was serious. I couldn't even breathe. I'm like, you got it. I'm bawling. It's bad bawling. It was uh, just an incredible moment. And then we were kind of up on a ridge and he shot, I think it was about 300, 400 yards down into the, down into this bowl. These two bulls popped out. It was amazing. And, and it was an effort just to get down the mountain to the bull, but to watch him put his hands around that bull. And, and it was actually a cool bull. It had been a fighter and broken off a couple of times. And his comment was, Oh, look, he's an amputee too. And we all just laughed and hugged and cried and, that was the kickoff of me doing uh, at least one or two scheduled veteran hunts every year. And so that's my little journey. And now I'm just Skullbone Chronicles on Carbon TV, putting out 12, 13 episodes a year. You don't, don't you ever just say just, okay. So we covered a lot of ground there. I want to, I want to talk first, like, you know, we're going to hit the veteran stuff. Like I'm going to let Peaches talk to you all about that new season. Cause I, I want to hear it. And I, I love that story. That was, that was the story that hooked me. I was like, we got to get Jen on. We got to, we got to talk about, you know, her work with this, but I want to take it all the way back. So our listeners are getting ready to go to the hardest thing in their life, right? You just described little old you, Jenna, just described about how you throw 80 pounds on your back. You go to the mountains, you traipse around for eight days just to get a shot. Um, you know, and you have to have highly skilled precision when you, when you, you even, you even pistol hunt at this point in your career. Like you were, you were no kidding, like stalking and getting up close. So 
when I hear that, I think about our population and they're talking about grit. They're talking about hard work. They're talking about, you know, extreme, uh, extreme environments and having to live in those extreme environments with nobody, you know, to help themselves. Like you're out there oftentimes alone, just you and a camera. Um, I want to kind of dig into that and, and what what were those things that kept you going? Like your love of hunting, sure, but this this stuff is hard. Like when you're traipsing around the backcountry of Montana and you have to carry your body weight plus some, you're carrying 150 percent of your body weight sometimes out on these hunts. How do you how do you keep yourself motivated to get up there and go out there and do that? Like, of course, it's love of your job, and you know you know your why. But for people that are looking to do those really super hard things, what advice do you have to them to, to kind of get them through that adverse event? Because that's tough. I think the core, the bottom line core of anything is passion. Um, for me, I just, I'm so passionate about the outdoors. And it's funny for people who don't hunt, uh, they don't understand the, con- they don't necessarily understand the connection Um, And there's all types of hunting. There's easy hunting. And then there's, oh, my God, you know, holy cow, I could die out here hunting. Um, But to me, it's just the passion of being outdoors and and the spontaneity of it, never knowing what you're going to see and feel. And I I just feel like you don't really know who you are until you push yourselves. Um, And I've in the mountains, uh, there's a lot of things. It can be super challenging, again, depending on the hunt. And I try to keep in really good shape so that I can always do that. I try to fairly eat well, although I didn't do that good on out there. No, that you know what? That's fine. Every once in a while, <laughs> you got to have just a, I call it a little refeed period because that sounds better yeah. than I just completely came off my diet and like let the wheels fall off. So I, I was refeeding. Yeah. I, uh, but it, to me, it's just how I do it and where, and it's, where you dig deep for that motivation of keeping going. And there are days on a hunt where I've wanted to quit or especially during a pack out where you can't really quit because you're only halfway there or halfway to the draw, but that you take your, I've done a couple hunts, well, more than a couple where you hike in all your gear, you've got everything except your water. We typically figure out where we can filter water from, but we've got food for a week. Um, you know, you're, you're packing out. If you are lucky enough to get that deer, elk, even moose down, you're packing that animal out and it can be, it can be incredibly challenging. And this is no joke where I have derived the most um, inspiration in the last decade of my life has been those veteran hunts. And this is no, when I see someone like Bo Richenbeck or Eric Galvin, one of my favorite human beings, he's a triple amputee, no right arm, no legs. I took him on an elk hunt and it was a little bit easier than Bo's hunt because we could get some to some of the places with a four wheeler, but still, you know, think about what it takes for Eric to just get up in the morning. One arm, no legs, former Marine, total badass, the best attitude of anyone I've ever met. He is so positive, so happy to be alive. He's got so much grit, just had a baby. He's married with a baby. Um, but Eric, I think of that hunt all the time of, okay, I, why am I complaining? I, I have it so good. I have, the, my limbs are working. I might be sore and sweaty and hard, my back be killing me or I've got two miles to go or whatever. I think of those hunts with the, you know, dozens of guys that I've been out in the mountains with. And I think if they can do it, I can do it. Just keep pushing yourself. But I think it's passion, um, uh, grit, and just what motivates you. And it, what motivates me is pushing myself to feel alive. Well, I would say, 
and and not that you don't hear this enough already, but you probably need to hear it again. Thanks for what you're doing with all of that, because that means so much to, uh, and to, to the veterans and then especially the amputees. I mean, that's just, that's huge. So thanks for what you're doing, um, with that, because I mean, I can imagine that's got to be so rewarding. And I think that we actually need more of that just because, um, I think recently we've been thinking more about ourselves instead of others. So it's, it's probably, you know, it's, it's rewarding for them, but it's probably just as equally rewarding for you to do and do that. So, um, I just got to throw that out there first. I I sincerely appreciate that, but selfishly, they're the my favorite moments of my life. They really are like, it's, it's, I come from that perspective that the reason I, one of the reasons I love to tell these stories so much is because I come from that place who I don't have any family who is military. I have one kind of removed uncle who was a, a older uncle since past pilot in the air force. But other than that, no real um, connection to the military growing up. I didn't have anyone close to me that went off after high school into the military that I could you know, follow along on their journeys with. So I come from that perspective of until I spent time in the mountains or sitting around a campfire, um, I didn't understand what our men and women go through as much as I feel like every single citizen in this the beautiful United States of America should. And so I feel like it's all, I feel like I've always been one of those people too, that even through the bad times, everything happens for a reason, but I feel like out of skull bound, has been such a greater gift and the gift is the opportunity to tell these stories and the, and in through the time I've spent with them, I feel such an incredible appreciation for this country. Here I am a woman in the hunting industry doing the, any career I want living in a free world, having as many guns as I want. Amen. Um, you know, free- Listen, you're, ta- you're, you're, you're in a safe space right now. You keep going, boo boo. <laughs> and I appreciate it. And now I, I understand even better where that freedom comes from. And if I can help other people understand that and share these stories of not just, you know, um, men and even women, I'll talk about that too, who have suffered a lot through, uh, through their time in the military. If I can share their stories and create a better understanding, I just think that all that does is just grow patriotism and love for this country. So that's become, it's become a, just an incredible, beautiful thing in my life that I appreciate your thank you, but really selfishly, it's, it's my honor. Well, well, I don't really know where to go from there, but I just know that it's rewarding for them and it's rewarding for you. And if it's a mutual beneficial relationship, like keep it up, you know what I mean? And grow it if you need to. Um, so yeah. you brought up like you're going on some of these uh, insanely treacherous eight day deep, deep woods, packing out 80 pound rucks, packing out not just, you know, what you're finding your water, but packing out food, equipment and stuff like that. But then also hiking out the kill. What do you do to prepare for those? Um, you know, and like how how far in advance do you prep or are you just maintaining a, a consistent and constant level of fitness to where you're like, Oh, we're, you guys want to go out today. All right, we'll go do it. You know, where are you at in yeah. that? Yeah, I definitely. Uh, and just so people understand, they're not all that rough. Like sometimes like 
I just perked we my have butt. To, no, we have to make them all rough. They're all the worst hunts. <laughs> Listen, this is how we do it. Let, you let me let me be your hype man on this one. Hardest hunts, most treacherous. I heard Cameron Haynes looks at the hunts that you go on, and he was like, mm, no thanks, I'm a pass. He was like, hammer down, not today. Jan is going out. I can't verify that, but let's just say that it's true. Cameron Haynes, if you want to come on and correct, bring your friend Joe Rogan, and we'll clear this up on the podcast. It'll be a quick one, just an hour and a half. <laughs> I, uh, I, they're not, unfortunately, I'd love to say they're all like that, but they're not. A, like last December, I sat my butt in a tree stand in, in, for five days in Iowa on a muzzleloader hunt. And I mean, you're, you're dealing with frigid cold temperatures and a different kind of tough, but, um, but like, honestly, last year, I also did a five day backcountry hunt with Polly and Dee Servi. They're two of my best friends. They live in Utah. They, where they hunt, about um, four pretty darn steep miles off the trailhead. So we pack everything on our backs and head in. And I ended up shooting a buck on day, I think day three, day three or four. And we're in there, you know, I mean, we are in there deep into the mountains and, but there's nothing more rewarding too about cooking that backstrap, you know, by your tent over the campfire and, you know, just getting, getting back to the trailhead with all of your gear and a whole big deer and quartered out. And, but there's ways, there's ways to prepare for those kind of hunts a little bit more than the average. I do try to maintain where I work out three to five times a week. Um, I do a lot of Stairmaster just because it's climbing and quads. Um, I do a lot of light lifting. Um, I used to be a runner back in the day, but, uh, the older I've gotten, my knees aren't really happy with that. So I've stopped running, but I do a lot of Stairmaster, a lot of walking incline on the treadmills. Um, just more, that's more hips than anything else. When I have a backcountry hunt, I will start adding weight into my backpack. And when I do the Stairmaster or I do, uh, walk that incline, I definitely have weight in my pack. Now it's not 80 pounds. It's more like, you know, 30, 40 Sometimes my, my roommate and I, Laura, will hike around the the hills here with weighted packs if I've got a big one coming up. But really, it's, for me and my lifestyle, it's just maintenance. I want to be able for someone to say, hey, you want to go out tomorrow? Do you want to go on a hike? Do you want to go on a hunt? And people think hunting as fall, but it's really not. I, I hunt a ton of bears in the spring. I hunt Montana, Idaho, um, lots of times Alaska, Saskatchewan. I'm going on a Prince of Wales hunt here for bear in September. So I do a ton of springtime hunting. I live in Montana. We hunt all winter for mountain lions. Um, a lot of people trap and hunt wolves all winter long, coyotes all winter long. So Otherwise, it's, it's so different. I had a great meal last night. The restaurant had like four and a half stars. It was, I got to be honest with you, magnifique. <laughs> Sounds amazing. <laughs> really, <laughs> really, really, really was good. <laughs> so I, yeah, I just kind of try to maintain, but if I've got a hard one coming up, I definitely hit it with a weighted pack, work the, you know, traps, lats, work a little bit of the back. Um, but I haven't done a super hardcore backcountry like Alaska. I did hunt a bighorn sheep last year in Montana. Um, it was a tag of a lifetime draw. It was not, though, in other t sheep hunts are probably the hardest out there for big game hunts. Mine wasn't that difficult. It was in a unit an hour and a half from my house. It was a, a bit of climbing, but not as treacherous as some other sheep hunts. But yeah, it all depends on the hunt that you've got coming up. But I think maintenance is the key. Yeah. And like, so for the for the deep country long ones, how many are you doing a year usually? Um, Only one or two a year. Really. Okay. 
out of the 12 to 13 that I do, usually only one or two are real backcountry. Last year was muzzleloader in Utah where we packed everything in. Um, I'm staring at one of my favorite personal hunts. Uh, I drew an incredible Alaska moose tag in 2015. We, 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 it was a lot of hiking out. We packed, we rented the horses. There's a lot of logistics <laughs> you, that go. Wait a second. You That's, just, you, we rent. Where can I rent a horse? You just breezed right yeah. by. I've been looking at a place to rent a horse, Jenna. And now I finally have, <laughs> this is a bucket list thing. I'm finally going to be able to cross off. Where did, where did you rent pack mules we, and pack horses? We did. We did. We in Alaska because moose are, the most obviously it's the biggest animal I've ever shot. Mm. We wanted to go way back in. We were probably 13 miles in off the trailhead. So that's the kind of style hunt that you're almost always going to be taking horses in on or float plane dropping off, you know, drop off planes to drop camp. But we wanted to do it ourselves. I went in there with a buddy of mine, um, Ben Woolers and his daughter, who I've hunted with since she was itty bitty. And we both put in through this incredible moose tag, rented the horses to get in and then part of the deal was we would sat we would sat phone him and let him know when we got our mooses down they'd all be taken care of quartered deboned hung up high for bears and then he would bring the pack horses in to get the gear out and then we hiked out so that made it a little bit easier but that was just an incredible hunt in the middle of nowhere alaska and those kind of hunts are are definitely far and few between but i would say the pack and styles maybe one maybe two at the most a year okay last question on this (laughs) just because like i haven't done a a deep country long long hunt or anything like that but actually i haven't shot big game at all but like we're talking about 80 pounds going in with food you know enough for eight days or whatever just call it that um and you're you're obviously depleting your weight because you're eating some food and stuff like that. But when you quarter these animals and you got to take them out, like how much of an increase of weight is that, that you're taking out? Cause it, it, to me, uh, as somebody who doesn't know any better, it seems like you are going to be significantly heavier on the way out, like almost double what you packed in. Yeah. On average, the kind of style hunts I do here, especially in Montana for elk, deer, bear is, parking at the trailhead or parking at the gated log old. There's so many old logging roads because of back in the day, um, typically they're gated and parking there, hiking in anywhere from, you know, the starting of the hunt being maybe three miles in going back to 10 miles in and out. So it depends on where you get that animal down, but almost all of that style hunting is coming out every day. You're doing a lot of hiking in and hiking out, but you're coming out every day. The answer to your question of how much weight is on your back depends on how many people you're with. Typically on a hunt like that, I've, I've always got a cameraman who knows that he's going to have <laughs> meat in his pack. On the Surprise. <laughs> um, <laughs> not just back yeah. the camera. They got to help. But like, usually you're going in with, you know, two or three buddies. Okay. And that's because you want to disperse that weight or you're going in multiple times. You know, you're going in and taking out that first load. Uh, bear, especially, you know, you're, you, you're mm. taking out, the bare head and the hide, you're typically deboning everything. Um, they don't have as much meat as like an elk, for example, but you're still, you still have these meat bags loaded with meat. You've got the head and the hide to pack out. You can get a bear out with two people. Um, 
I've done it many times, but it's a long, grueling night, often getting back to the truck at, you know, three, four in the morning and or going in the next day for the second load. So um, it just depends on the style hunt and how many people you're with. But I would say I add on, on those kind of hunts, I really only probably go in as light as I can. I've only got a day's worth of food. I've got my water in my water bladder and I've got my extra gear, rain gear, knife, all that kind of stuff. I probably in my pack, I'm only really going in with 30 pounds. Mm. And then as I'm coming out, I'm able to load so much more. Okay. That makes sense. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I got to be honest. You're you're the toughest person on this podcast. Just talking to you about you know packing a bear. You're like, yeah, you got to take the bear head and the hide out, and then on a separate tr- walk to the trailhead. I'm like, oh man, I don't do enough hard things in my life. Um, <laughs> what, one thing that our, our listeners struggle with is like we have a ton of skills, right? Like there's a million things, as you well know. There's a million things that we have to like pack in. Like you have to be able to shoot and move, communicate. You have to be able to work through your radio. You have to be able to, to do medicine, all these things. You had to do the same thing, though. Like, you had to learn field craft. You had to learn shooting. You had to learn multiple different weapons platforms from bow to pistol to rifle to, you know, precision rifle. Did you struggle with any of those skills when you first started out? Like, what was the one thing when you first started hunting? Was it was it a shot with a with a bow? Like, what was the, the thing that you struggled with, and, and how did you overcome that? Um, to be honest, I think there's been a lot of struggles throughout my evolution as a hunter. Um, you know, I started out primarily archery hunting and there's a lot of skill that's involved. There's a lot of luck that's involved. You know, you're, as I'm learning like spot and stalk archery elk hunting, for example, so much different than sitting in the woods in Wisconsin hunting whitetails. And you're just really learning that wind. You're working that wind. You're learning how to communicate, how to bugle back and forth. You're learning, um, you know, what you can get away with, which is nothing for elk in terms of movement. (laughs) Other species you can get away with a little bit more. But, you know, you're learning all those things. And then I transitioned. When I moved out to Montana 13 years ago, I got into long-range precision rifle hunting as well. And, And it's funny because with anything, you've got the haters, right? Oh, I only traditional archery hunt, or I don't like guns. Or Those people bad. only exist on the internet, and they're just in the comment <laughs> section, and it's just to make you mad. They've actually never done anything. They just say that they have, well, actually, I've only done this one thing. Yeah. No, we always call them keyboard cowboys <laughs> who've never had their ass in the real sense. <laughs> so, um, I... Uh, You know, with long range, I love long range rifle shooting. To me, that's where I feel like I excel at. Um, I've been really lucky enough to do some training with um, some friends of mine up when they were up in Kalispell through Nemo Arms, took their long range class, was shooting with Chance Gianelli, who was an international sniper champion, I think 2010. Um, He was one of my instructors. I've shot with Jack Nevels, who's you know, pretty much iconic shot with guys who are so skilled. And then of course, Maddie Nelson and his crew who are oh, yeah. out there, those guys, those guys know it. Yeah. All. Shout out to so Seekins and really- Hat Creek, man. Those, those guys crushed yeah. it, man. Brian Morgan and, and Maddie and the guys from Hat Creek came out and did the, the long range precision course you're talking about, but shout out to them. They're world-class. I mean, if they can give you some great tips and you're playing in steel, standing up on a tripod at 920, I mean, that's awesome, you know? And I really like this year going through the different positions because quite frankly, that's what hunting is. You rarely have that perfect prone shot, you know, where you're in the prone elbows down solid as a rock. You know, you've got to, I've had many a shots where I'm contorted trying to use trees and such, but um 
and when I, pistol's been fun for me too. I'm actually new to the pistol world. I started, I think the first time I ever picked up a pistol was eight or nine years ago to actually self-defense. We, I live in Grizz country, uh, black bears, of course, but the more as the years ticked on, we're seeing more and more grizzlies. And so just started carrying a 10 on my hip and, um, I really started then thinking, oh, how can I hunt with, I think it'd be super cool to start taking some big game. I met uh, Jody DePorter with Magnum Research, I think it was five years ago at SHOT Show, and started talking to her and she threw a Desert Eagle 429 in my hand. And you got to laugh, it's like holding an anvil. <laughs> but, I, uh, but it was a new round, they kind of wanted to get the word out. So we started talking about like what hunts I could do. And long story short, with that 429, I've, I've shot bear, a couple of bears mountain lion, javelina. They even shot a turkey in Texas with it. <laughs> and no, it didn't. I was going to say, is there yeah. anything left? It just, yeah, I imagine that like the cartoon where it's just feathers. <laughs> yeah. Actually, no, it's funny because it didn't hit any bones necessarily. It just, it wasn't a hole any bigger than a, a broadhead, which I've arrowed a bunch of turkeys. So no, that worked out good. It was still very edible, but um as far, as far as the challenges go, it's just like with anything, you know, when you're new at something, you got to remember the steps and remember like long range, the wind variables can be frustrating. And when you're. Okay, cool. Uh, so going right back into it. Um, I know that we were kind of talking about garbage in garbage out, and I'm not sure how much of it was caught on the last recording, but I, I just, I did want to hit it one more time, just in case is that, you know, when you when you do, you know, like I said, put garbage in, garbage out based off of social media or the folks that you surround yourself with, like, what are you going to expect? Like you're, you're going to be in, in a, a negative arena and you're going to stay there. And maybe you're one of those type of people that, you know, that helps drive you or motivate you. But most of the people after enough time that is going to wear on you. Yeah. I've had a, I, I, I'm sure you guys get it a lot. I think um, probably every subcategory on social media gets it, but the hunting world gets so much negativity and backlash. Even when, like, even from last last week's out there, I posted a picture of me shooting, you know, the 308, standing on a tripod, getting coached from, you know, one of the guys from Hat Creek, and some dude gets on and tells me I'm 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 sticking my butt out too much or something like that, you know. It's like always a critic, right? <laughs> There's always one in the bunch. And if I, I, and I have come a long way in 13 years of doing Skullbound to realize, you know, click, delete, ban, whatever. My ban list is over 5,000 people too on Facebook, but you know, it's just not <laughs> worth it. It's, it's, it's way too easy to get sucked into that negativity. And my personality, I'm kind of a right fighter. So I used to get on there and, oh yeah, well, da, 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 da. and now like, pfft, I don't even let them get to me, especially with the, you know, anyone trying to give me tips and tricks. Now, mind you, if someone sends me a DM and says, Hey, have you ever tried this? You know, that's different. That's someone who's looking out for you, wanting to help you. But the people who are negative talking and bad mouthing and bashing are, like I said before, typically keyboard cowboys who never had their butts in a real saddle. So, well, yeah, you, you and I, we are on the same path. It's just, I am not to the point where I'm not engaging online. You're, you, you have achieved that monk status. And I'm still arguing in the comic session. Like I'm going to be, I'm just going to be honest with you. Every once in a while, you know, what gets me is when they like call me out personally for something. They're like, Oh, this channel sucks. I'm like, all right. Yeah. You're probably right. We're not very good at this. But when they're like, 
All right, Aaron, you did this thing. I'm like, oh, okay. Well, now we're talking about me. Now we gotta have a talk. And I, I gotta be honest with you. It's, a, but I think it's. Let let me soften it. I think it's because of the passion involved. You put a lot into it. So when other people just hop on and give those drive-by comments, you're like, hey, MF. Like I do, I do work to get here. I I try. Like I'm out here shooting this precision rifle. By the way, that that shooting event. You're shooting a precision rifle as somebody in that space in front of a whole bunch of subject matter experts. You had active duty special operators and people that are at the top of their hunting game. Like the fact that you're putting yourself out there on video in the first place is already a win. And then this guy in the comedy guy, gal, whoever, I don't, I didn't assume his programs, this, they, them in the comments comes out and decides to tell you that you're sticking your butt out. They're like, Hey guy, can you do me a favor and maybe shut up and never talk again? It's gotten, it's, it, it has been an evolution of, you know, having to like tailor what I really think and feel, but I have to say that it's been, I have taken the advice like Peaches was saying is just don't even, you know, don't, don't even let it get to you garbage in garbage out kind of thing. Um, it's been hard. It's been a lot easier this last year in my life. I was um, appointed by the governor of Montana. I'm a Montana wildlife commissioner. And so with that being said, I have to remember that I'm, you know, I'm in a position where everything I say and do is screen grabbed and sent on and stuff. So that's been helpful a little bit for me to uh, remember from a public relations, my degree point of view that if someone is saying super negative and it's much easier when they name call me, which I get that all the time too. Um, the C word, the B word all the time, especially on topics like wolf hunting, for example, they call you a cootie head. I can't believe they would call you. And that's it's. I was going to say, like, careful, don't say it. you're going to get us demonetized, but we don't make any money anyway off of it because it's not popular enough. So, no, that's fine. You can you can say whatever, <laughs> whatever C word you'd like to say. <laughs> well, it's funny. I, I uh, There's very hot topics right now on the commissioner side of things like wolf hunting. And uh, so, yeah, I see I see the negative Nellies, if you will, all the time lately. And that's okay. Uh, you know, the, the, the older I get, the easier it is to deal with them. And I'm really lucky to surround myself with just incredible people. And, uh, those are the ones I try to focus on whose opinions matter. No, that's, and that's valid. And that's what you should do. Um, I mean, especially in today's day, I mean, I'm in a position right now that is, I'm learning is highly scrutinized. And so I'm, you're so I, important. No, You're so not, I've been telling no, you this for years. You were so important. No, but but where I'm at right now, I'm like, oh man, I really, really got to care. Be careful with what I say and do and and type. But yeah. um, so one of the I, and I know that uh, the two of you, and then obviously Trent, who we're you know representing today. Shout yeah, out to we Trent. both have special recon shirts on, and Trent had a last minute cancel, yeah. so I just can't I can't wait to get and and make fun of him on the group chat. So that's gonna be great. <laughs> But you guys, uh, you met at the Eberly Stock Out There event, and um, but that's not really your only connection to Aspect War. You have you have another one right now, and I want to be very, I, I just caution you a little bit because if you if you give too much information out and we're able to identify the individual, he's probably in for a really bad bad time. <laughs> at least, at right. least one bad at least one bad afternoon. The one yeah. active duty combat controller that listens to this podcast is going to be like, Hey guys, 
Well, you, you know what's funny though, Peaches, is maybe the instructor that we're talking, you know, the, the instructor staff, maybe they don't want to admit to their friends that they listen to our podcast. So maybe this person we're talking about is safe. Maybe. You know what I mean? But uh, Janet, why don't, you, why don't you tell us a little bit about it, please? Okay. Well, the connection is so funny because, you know, earlier on, you said probably the most famous, you know, we've had on the podcast. Well, I was the one freaking out just last week because I'm sitting here at this Everly Stock Out There event and some of the guys are getting up talking and, and Aaron mentions that he mentions PJ and then he mentions podcast. And I'm like, no way. Is that these guys? So like I, and mind you, we are in the middle of nowhere, but of course, thanks to Elon Musk, uh, Glenn put Starlink in at the cabin. So we have some service. So I, I ran back and I called my boyfriend and I said, Hey, what's that podcast that, that you and your son are, uh, you know, obsessed with. And he said, one's ready. And I'm like, I don't want to brag or anything, but they're at this <laughs> event with me. And he was like, no way, no way. And so that was the connection. And so you know, it's funny. I, I do a lot of work with veterans, whether it's raising money for good causes or taking them on hunts or, and I have tons of friends, especially over the last 13 years of my life that are in special forces. And uh, it's funny. So, so my boyfriend's son, he was thinking of, you know, what military path he wanted to choose. And he wasn't really going over it with my boyfriend, but he was, he came to him one day and he said, I know it, I got it. I know what I'm going to do. And he said, I want to, I want to be a combat con controller. And John and I were like, Hmm, okay. Like, I don't really know much about that. And, and as we're diving in and trying to learn more about what PJs do, combat controllers, SR, I'm like, Whoa, he like, do you, are you sure? Like how much have you looked into this and looked into the, just the training aspect in the beginning of alone, we were like, you know, it's as, as. I'm just, I'm not even stepmom. I'm boyfriend's, you know, girlfriend, but as I want, I want to encourage him and everything. I also knew what he was getting into. You know, I've, I, I don't, I don't until now have friends who were CCT PJ, but I do have a lot of friends who were seals and green Brays and Rangers. And, uh, I have a couple of friends in Delta force and knowing what they've been through and knowing that your training is considered even way harder than that. The hardest in the military, you know, we're like, Oh, and so we've been, I, I guess I don't, I'm trying to not give away too much information, but he is past selection and he has been selected. So he, he's, he's, he's really what? nervous right now. He's, he's, he's really like nervous. Don't. My, man, my man is the, uh, it's the scene. It's the Matthew McConaughey meme where he's smoking the cigarette. He's like, watch the podcast. He's like, <laughs> like just like easy. Don't mom. identify me. Don't identify yeah. me. Easy. Easy. <laughs> It's probably not that hard to figure it out, but anyway, it's I'm not. so incredibly proud of him, like every step of the way. And it's like, and in my advice is just, you know, just concentrate on what you've got at hand. Like, and he's, he's a really, um, mentally sound young man, like, and, and, and he's, he went into this with, he's already married, has a baby, which can actually be even more challenging, yeah. right? Oh, because yeah. he's got other people to worry about as he's making this big commitment. But every step of the way, like, I'm not kidding when I say, I'll put it to you like this. My boyfriend, literally, when he talks about his son, there's typically a tear of pride streaming down his face. And it's been really eye-opening for me too, just hearing, you won't believe what he did today. You won't believe what he did today. You know, like all these things that he's had to go through are so 
incredible. Like number one, that the human body can even push themselves through that kind of training. And then the mental aspect, you know, he had a lot of buddies in the beginning that he, I'm sure you guys have probably talked about this a ton of you look around and you're like, Oh, he might make it. Oh, he's never going to make it, you know? And it was like, you probably have talked about surprising to him, the ones that have been with him along the way and who haven't dropped out and haven't, you know, quit. And so that, that was the connection. It was really funny that I was so excited to hear that one's ready was the podcast that my boyfriend and son are just, uh, you know, addicted to and love. And, and, uh, it's been a really fun connection and, um, I'm super, I'm super proud of him. And, and it's been, it's been fun on the journey going along with him and just, you know, beaming of pride. But I mean, he's, he's already been selected. So he's been through ANS and he is somewhere in the pipeline. So he, uh, you know, bearing any kind of injury or whatever, like he's already been assessed and selected yep. and he's somewhere in the pipeline and will don a beret in the next, we'll just call it two years. Right. Yep. yep. That's Soon. awesome. That's yeah. awesome. Well, yeah. And we just did a, so, you know, we often answer questions. We, we begin a lot of questions from parents. So Peaches and Trent actually got on and they, they kind of gave their advice to parents, but it's, you know, you're, you're again, not a parent, you're the, the girlfriend and just involved in the life and kind of from that support, that support aspect. But, you know, what, what lessons have you learned about support? Like, what, what did you learn? Like, what things have you done, especially speaking from that, you know, there's, there's family members that support our candidates as they're going through their spouses, there's people like you that are in their lives that just want to do the right thing. Like, what have you found is the most beneficial? Is it just being an ear to talk to? Is it going, oh, that's, that's crazy. What a, what a, what a cool day. Like, what have you found has worked to support that candidate going through the pipeline? For me personally, I've been just trying to be really supportive, um, through my boyfriend, you know, as when he comes, tells me all these stories and just being super positive. And especially when in the beginning for a parent, they're stressed out, they're stressed out for their kids and they, you know, want them to not get hurt and want them to, you know, do the best they can. They're a little worried because I mean, some of the training underwater, incredibly dangerous. Um, so just trying to be supportive and encouraging, like, did you talk to him today? What did he say? Like, and how I feel like my boyfriend is being the most supportive is that he, and it's not even like, Oh, can, let me see, let me think about this. It's just true innate love of watching his son kick ass. So he's literally like everything he mentions to him on the phone, he's Googling or he's trying to listen to podcasts so that he can ask him good questions and be there for him along the way and not be, you know, just be, well, you know, breath holding from breath holding to cardio training to whatever, just, just to be. And then when he talks about like the other guys he's dealing with in situations, I feel like John's been super supportive in um, just staying connected the whole way and asking good questions and being super positive. I feel like the support I feel like I've given is, um, is hope is his wife and baby. So my boyfriend's daughter-in-law and grand baby are, um, are super close 10, 10, 15 minutes from, and just trying to help out with the baby, trying to give support to the wife, because quite frankly, right now she's a single mom and Mm -hmm. to just show her love and to show her commitment. Um, we, um, I believe that uh, on this weekend, she's actually flying to spend two days with them. We bought her the plane ticket because they need to see each other, you know? Yeah. They, nice. Yeah. So that's that kind of support. And, and 
encouraging her that I, uh, that we know how hard it is, or at least we can imagine how hard it is being away from the one you love, being away and raising a baby at the same time, and just trying to show her how, how proud we am of her as well, because that makes it easier on her, which makes it easier on him. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And just like the candidate, like, you know, I'm sure his spouse, like she has to have a solid why too. And, and people forget that, you yeah. know, they think that the candidate is just going to go off and, you know, you're going to go through the pipeline and then you're going to put your beret on and you're a barrel chested freedom fighter and everybody's going to have this reunion and it's going to be great. Like, man, sometimes the spout, the people that you leave at home, they need to have a clear sense of direction and a clear support system too. They need to be like, Hey, you know, we're, we're doing these hard things, but it's for this reason, you know, you see, you know, unfortunately we do see relationships fail and that's, that's really a common trait of people in the pipeline and then in these jobs. And, and you do the same sort of thing. You're on the road a million days a year and you have a, you know, you do not have a nine to five, you know, yeah. sometimes you have a nine to five, but sometimes you have a nine to the next day at nine o'clock. You know what I mean? Like sometimes the job is what the job is, but um, you know, when people kind of lose sight of that shared why that's, that's really where, so it's awesome to hear that you're supporting from that side too. And you're helping the spouse remember like, Hey, this is, this is hard and it sucks. It really does. And, you know, hear it from me. Sometimes that, that crap sucks. It just does. Yeah. But it's awesome to hear that you're supporting that and making that little family unit happen. Cause that's how you succeed. Yeah. Yeah. I, I'm, I'm, I'm proud of her as much as him. Um, it would be super. I can't imagine being in my twenties and having to, you know, raise a baby and all the while, you know, he's out there as tough as it is, he's living his dream. Like, oh, that's, well, yeah, that's, <laughs> listen, it, the pipeline is tough, but sometimes it sounds like a bunch of really fun stories with your best friends that you're ever going to make. And cause it is, it is that too. Yeah. Yeah. And here she is, you know, changing dirty diapers and cleaning up baby puke, you know what I mean? So, <laughs> yeah. So I, it's just a reminder. I, I try as hard as I can to remind her it's number one, it's temporary, this stage of life of how hard it is with your baby. And number two, like you guys will be together soon. It is, mm-hmm. you know, it's, it's, it's time flies. It'll be sooner rather than later. And, uh, and she's so incredibly proud of him too. They're just the cutest little family unit. Um, but uh, yeah, just support as much as I can. And I know that John actually listened to that podcast. He thought it was great. The ones nice. you just did. Yeah. About where, from a parent's point of view, where are we the most beneficial? Nice. Yeah. I, uh, <laughs> I will tell this one story and it's, it's about <laughs> like, you know, making sure that you're, you're portraying your pipeline experiences correctly. I may or may not have been on a jump trip. The jump trip got canceled due to a hurricane. We had to go to the panhandle of Florida because we were down further South jumping. I made the mistake instead of saying, listen, it was a really long travel day. We got chased out by a hurricane. We're going to try to get this training done. I made the mistake of uh, posting a picture of the swim up bar that our hotel had that we just happened into. And I was like, oh, let's check this out. And it was, I'm here changing this baby's (laughs) diaper and you're at a swim up bar. Cautionary tale, everybody. Don't do that. <laughs> don't don't do those things. Don't make it. It is the hardest part of your life. Don't make it. I'm sound in like Vegas, a party. baby. I'm in <laughs> Vegas, baby. I'm on one today, baby. Um, I want to I want to switch gears, Jana, because I want to. We're, we're getting kind of close to the end here, but I want to talk about Skullbound. Like I want to talk about. You know, you you already mentioned the veteran hunts, and that was one of the things. As soon as you mentioned that you were out there, you know, taking veterans on these life changing hunts, and I could just tell the impact that it had with you. That was the, that was really the reason that I wanted to bring you on because Jer, you know, Peach has already said it. I, I will say it out loud. Like 
we value that stuff. Tell us what is coming up for Skullbound Chronicles, where everybody can find you. It's already out on Carbon, but you've got a whole season coming up of new hunts. I want to talk about your project. So wh- where where are you? What do you what do you get? What do you have coming up? What can we look forward to from Skullbound? Okay. Well, right now being July, we're kind of in the heart of the all veteran season. They are already all filmed. So they're all in the can. Um, they're kind of being re-edited. So the fun thing about digital, and I'm only on Carbon TV. That's the only place you're going to find me right now. Um, and Carbon TV is not just digital. It's also linear. Um, it's really unique how TV world is changing. But if you've got Roku, you can put Carbon TV up on your channels. Fire Stick, if you have a Samsung TV older than or newer than 2017. Um, so any, any smart TV, right? You can yeah, just app it up. TV, Airplay, nice. Right, right, right. And now they've signed a bunch of deals. They just signed six contracts with um, global distribution networks like sportstv.com and all that's and uh, cloud TV. All that stuff is free, which I love so much where people don't have to sign up for a membership. They can just go on, watch it. And it's fun because once they find your shows, they go back and they typically watch all your other ones. But so we're right in the middle of the heart of the veteran season. This episode I just released last week is actually really unique because it's a woman. Um, she, uh, and obviously women don't typically see combat, but they see combat. They're not in the heart of it as much, as much, of course, but they see things like how I describe it in the beginning is like no human being should have to see. She was a uh, surgical flight chief. She had to, uh, oftentimes her job was cataloging body bags. Um, she had to, you know, see the atrocities of war in a lot of ways and was dealing with a bunch of post-traumatic stress and emotional baggage. And, and her name is Shelby Hatch and she's amazing. She was so much fun. I took her um, on a Wyoming antelope hunt through the Wyoming's women's foundation that puts on this huge, huge event every year, 30 or 40 new hunters every year. I've never hunted before are out hunting big game antelope. Anyway, that was the episode I did last, last week. And I think it's important to remember that you know, some women do see the atrocities of war and that we need to, you know, remember that. Um, and there, you know, she was deployed multiple times. She was in it for, I think, 19 years, she said, um, got injured, was able to finish out her 20. But um, it's, uh, I'm excited. I've got some amazing ones coming up. Um, and actually, if you, in season two and three, um, there's veteran hunts in there that you can go watch. I'm, I'm going to repurpose them for this all veteran season. But couple of the ones coming up are incredibly inspiring. Um, Jonathan Blank is former recon sniper, a double amputee, and actually the most uh, amputated of any one I've ever hunted with. Like basically uh, doesn't, can't have prosthetics because there's nothing to him. He's way up by the hip. He is one of the most athletic people I've ever seen. Watching him move around is absolutely incredible. And, uh, um, a buddy of mine, Brian Marshall, he's the founder of Wishes for Warriors, which is the, a group, Not I'm not exclusive with them, but probably do the most work with them in finding these incredible stories or, or just guys who really need to get out there. Um, but Jonathan goes on an elk hunt. You can actually go and watch that. The full-blown episode is on last year's season, season three, but I'm going to re-release that for the all-veteran too, just because I want them lumped in there if someone's watching all just the veteran shows. Um for next year, all the new ones, I have a couple of them in the can already. I was lucky enough to draw a bighorn sheep tag in Montana, which was one of the, it, I, I call it the pinnacle. Like 
I never thought I would ever get the opportunity to hunt sheep. It's kind of a rich man's game. I mean, if you're going to buy a sheep tag at a conservation expo, for example, you're dropping a dime. I mean, you could basically easily buy a brand new house <laughs> for are a sheep. You, are you, how, how much is it? What's the dollar amount there? Because I have no um, reference. The highest at the Missouri River Breaks Montana sheep tag has ever gone for, I believe, is $460,000. <laughs> Wait, dollars? Like American dollars? dollars? Yes, one sheep Get out, of, get so, out of here. Yeah, yo, no, it's, a, it's, it's it's crazy. And so, but all of that money goes right back to sheep conservation. It's so awesome. But obviously it's that kind of, you can purchase a sheep hunt if you want to go up into BC or a dull sheep in Alaska. And those hunts are still going to range you anywhere from fifteen to $30,000. Like they're very, and I, I don't have that dime to drop. Um, yeah. So, you and me both lady. Yeah. So the only other way to hunt sheep is to draw. And I drew Montana last year, which was just absolutely incredible. It's only the second awesome tag I've ever drawn in my life. So anyway, that's coming up. That'll be the first episode out of the new season, season five of Skullbone Chronicles on Carbon. Um, I have a bunch of bear hunts that are already in the can that'll be on there. Um, the tags I have coming up for this fall, I'll be going to Prince of Wales and I'm going to be, um, hopefully taking a black bear with a pistol. Um, if I can get close enough spot and stalk pistol, no baiting. And, uh, that would be awesome. I'm going to take my 429 desert Eagle. If not, I'll take my 28 Nosler as a backup. Get it. <laughs> Shout out to Nosler. Yeah. Exactly. What's up, fellas? Yeah. And, uh, and then I've got Montana elk and deer tags. Hopefully I'll draw antelope that comes out any week now. Um, and I have a really light fall because of being a, a new appointed wildlife commissioner. I wasn't sure how much time that would take. And it's a good thing. I didn't super load my fall. I might be heading back to Wisconsin for a whitetail hunt, but otherwise that's what my fall entails. Okay. That's awesome. Everybody go over to Carbon, find her at Skullbound TV. It's on, on Instagram and we'll put your handle in the, in the comments. And obviously we'll, you know, we'll put it out when we get this, this out there, but we always end on advice, right? Because the people that, that come to this podcast, they're coming for information, but really they want to, they want to hear from people that have done it before. Like, how do we do it? So obviously you're not a special operator. I gotta be honest with you. There's a spot at selection for you. If you want to go, like it's a little swimming, we'll just clean it up. I think you've already, I think you've already got everything you need. Um, but you know, to those people that are going to try something super hard, like there was, there was a point where you just, you know, 13, you know, years ago where you decided to get into to Skullbound and even, you know, way before that, you know, when you picked up the bow three decades ago, you had to decide to try to do something hard. Um, and you had to make that decision. So for all of those people that are right now kind of on that edge, like, all right, I'm, I think I'm going to do this thing. What advice would you give to them to have them go do that hard thing? Well, I, my advice initially would be talk to someone who's been there before. Talk to whoever has walked in those, you know, footprints before you, because I don't think any better advice, you know, you can... You can literally read every book in the world, but until you talk with somebody or listen to like your podcast, talk with someone who's been there before you, um, you know, comparing a hunting show to the military is night and day apples and oranges. Um, but if we're generalizing and you're talking about anything difficult, talk to someone who's been there, um, get rid of the negative self-talk. I feel like that was a big part of my life growing up um, and, and in my twenties and even maybe my thirties 
but I feel like um, anything's really possible if you want to do it. And, and to have that mental toughness is such a huge component. I've never been, um, I've never been, I'm, I'm athletic, I've, but I've always considered myself an athletic klutz. Um, who's afraid <laughs> of heights? Who that doesn't right. work out good for hunting the mountains or climbing up tree stands, you know, but you just push yourself. So mental toughness. But I think the best advice is to listen to those or talk to those who've been there before you and a real talk, not a fluff, a real talk about what's it entail. Um, and then also just go for it. I mean, life is so short. Um, the crazy world we live in now, I just, I, I feel I I'm feel blessed to be the age I am because I'm not sure I could handle it if I was a teenager in my 20s right now. But I can tell you this, it doesn't seem that long ago. Life is short. And if you don't take chances and you don't jump at unique but difficult opportunities, you're not going to live a life of fulfillment. Man, that is and that's what we call a clip in the world. We're going to in, in the podcast world, we're going to we're going to isolate that. And that is going to be. That is going to be perfect. Jenna Waller from Skullbound, uh, Skullbound TV and Skullbound Chronicles uh, on the Carbon and on the Instagrams and on everywhere else. I cannot say thank you enough for coming out. We really appreciate you. I knew 100% that I wanted to, to get this story out when I met you out there, uh, when Trent and I met you out there. And, and now here we are. I just want to say thank you very much for coming on. Everybody go follow Jana and Skullbound Chronicles. Keep an eye out for the upcoming season and everything she's got in the works. While you're at it, give us a like, a subscribe. Just touch the button. It's easy. It helps. It really does. And then, as always, go ahead and fight in the comments. Maybe I'll ignore them. Maybe I won't. Who knows? It depends on how stoic I'm feeling. That Yeah, no. That's that's a whole thing. Um, Jana, thank you for coming on. It's amazing. For everybody else out there, keep training hard. We'll see you next time. Have a good one.